Well, good evening and welcome to service two of five this weekend at New Spring Church. Moms, happy Mother's Day. Uh, there is no job like being a mom. Uh, I am get a nice front row seat to watch my wife. Uh, and there is, I, I cannot imagine um, pulling three full-time jobs m- melted into one that being a mom is. That's incredible. All right, so starting out tonight, uh, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think back to when you were a, a little kid. And uh, think about this. Did you go through a phase where there was a superhero that you wanted to be like? Raise your hand if that was the case. If you, there was a superhero, you went through a phase like that. It's okay, don't be embarrassed. There's more of us like you in the room, all right? Okay, so here's, here's the thing. And I love asking that question. I really do. Because there's a couple guys in the room always. Anytime you ask that question, there's a couple guys in the room who look at me like, childhood, phase, I am Batman, right? <laughs> and... Uh, so good for them, right? But the rest of us, we went through a phase, you know, we were kids. There was, you know, Superman and Batman and Spider-Man. And uh, sorry, ladies, I, di- I didn't follow the female superhero. Sorry about that. I don't know their names. I'm sure they were just as good, right? But okay, there we go. I'm hearing them. I'm hearing them come up. Okay, so, you know, there was something about, I don't know if, I don't know if you're like me, but there's something about when you're growing up and you you you've come into contact with this with information about the superhero you watch the tv show you read the comics and you think man there's something about that person i identify with you know maybe it's their cause for me it was superman i identified with superman truth justice and you know the american way right that's what i identified with and i was you know when i when i was 6 or 7 there was a television show that would come on during the day it was kids programs during night it was uh, reruns of very old television shows right and they were rerunning the original Superman series. And I just thought this was the coolest thing ever, right? This guy, you know, he had some sort of ESP thing going on. I mean, he knew when people were in trouble. You know, he, he you know, did the whole ironing board, leaning forward thing. He flew, you know, and all that stuff. I mean, that's pretty cool. So I decided I wanted to be like Superman, right? I could identify with him. He was, he was somebody I wanted to be like. So I, I asked my parents. I said, I really think I need a pair of Superman pajamas, right? Because you don't wear stuff, you know, like your superhero during the day. Right? You don't do that. Even when you're six, it's not cool. Right? So what you do is you ask for pajamas, right? So you can wear it at night. You wear it at night, you go to bed, nobody knows. But you're still being like your superhero. I mean, this is, every six-year-old knows this, right? But in any case, so I asked for these pajamas, and um, so I get them. One little minor, you know, problem, the pajamas didn't have a cape, right? Which was, which was a bit of an issue for me. But it actually worked out to my favor, because I, you know, I remember trying to fly and not finding it to be as easy an exercise as I thought it would have been. And so I, you know, I take this problem that I can't fly, not to my parents, but rather to the source of all knowledge, which was the lunch table in first grade, and all the six-year-old boys sitting around the table talking about our own major life problems, and I said, you know, my big problem is I can't fly. When I put my Superman pajamas on, I can't fly, right? And, you know, one of the other very astute six-year-olds said, well, do you have a cape? I said, no. He said, well, that's why, you know? (laughs) Problem solved, right? And I could have tried to make a cape, but having tried to fly once and exper- having experienced the pain that follows, I decided might as well just be a pedestrian version of Superman. I'll just walk, you know. Uh, so in any case, it's easy to, to, you know, easy to try to, you know, try to be like Superman. I, I found out that it's easy to get your shirt put on backwards when you're changing in a dark closet. I don't know how Superman does that in the phone booth. You know, it's a, this is, you know, what's interesting is you have a whole table of six-year-olds together in first grade, and we're all discussing which one of us was more powerful by virtue of our pajamas, right? You know, I had Superman pajamas. The other guy across from me, he had Spider-Man pajamas. The other guy felt like he trumped us all because he had Batman pajamas, right? Uh, these, are the, these are the real experiences in life, right? But I, I want to 
take you to a moment in your life when you realized that it was time to grow out of that. You know, you'd, you'd wanted to be like this superhero. You'd emulated him. You got the pajamas. You got the lunchbox. You had the, the you know, banners in your room and the comic books. But there was a moment when life taught you that you have to grow out of that, right? And there's a little bit of a cultural message there. There's a cultural message that says when you're a six-year-old, it's okay to want to be like someone. But once you grow up, wanting to be like someone is kind of lame, right? You got to grow out of that. You got to learn to find the you inside and be like that. Don't try to be like someone else. Don't try to imitate someone else. That's, that's, not a, that's not a real life. Find out who you really are. But if you go back to that person that you wanted to be like when you were a kid, isn't it true that at some, to some extent, wanting to emulate that person helped you develop a sense of your identity? You think back to the people you really wanted to be like. Maybe it wasn't a superhero. Maybe it was just some adult in your life. Maybe it was one of your parents. Maybe it was a teacher somebody that you cared and loved, you think about it. That person really helped crystallize your goals in life and helped you stay on the right direction, determine what your identity was. I mean, I went through all the stages, right? When I was a little kid, my hero was Mr. Rogers. Right? Anybody who can sing a theme song and tie his shoes at the same time, right? And then also anybody for whom the UPS man comes every day, like that's my hero, you know? But then I grew out of that and it was Superman. Then after I grew out of Superman, it was adults in my life, my dad, my teachers, people that I cared about a lot. And then I reached that point where I decided that because of what people were telling me, it was time to quit using everybody else's template. It was time to find me, look inside and find who I really am. But can I be honest with you? This is a parenting series. You know, we go through that, that time in college where we're like, I just need to find out who I am. You know, I need to find my identity. I need to find me. You know, people ask you, why do you do stupid stuff? Well, I'm trying to find me. You know, why, why do you do that? Well, I'm on a search for me, you know, but then there's a point at which you realize you don't have all the answers. You know when that is, right? That's when they hand the baby to you in the delivery room, right? You recognize that when you go inside to look at what's in me, you don't have answers for what they just handed to you, right? It was interesting. I was, um, I was at, a, at a conference recently, and I went to this conference. It was for Christian counselors. And so I was sitting next to a therapist and a psychologist who were married to each other. Now, that's interesting, right? I want to go home with them and figure out what their fights are like, right? Because that's got to be fun to watch, right? But anyway, I was, I was sitting next to them, and they were talking. And, and uh, so I asked them, because she was very pregnant, very pregnant, right? And this was, they'd not had any children previous. And so I said, you guys intimidated about having your first? And he looked at me and he's like, intimidated? Why would we be intimidated? Yeah. And she said, yeah, you know, she said, as, you know, as mental health professionals, she said, we just really feel like people make parenting out to be a lot harder than it really is. You know? <laughs> she said, you know, we have, we have some real goals in, in our parenting experience. And we have the psychological training, the personal discipline, everything we need to have these goals come true. You know, they said, we, we expect to have a natural childbirth. And I really think, she said, she said, I really think the pain is overestimated, right? Okay. okay. And she said, after that, you know, we, I expect to have this child sleeping through the night at one and a half. Okay. She's like, and then we, she's like, I'd like to have the child potty trained at about the same time, maybe a little earlier. It really depends on how it all goes. But really, by the time that child is two, I expect it to have been potty trained for five or six months. I said, okay. She's like, and this whole misbehavior thing, 
right? I, can't, I couldn't wait to hear this, right? She's like, this whole misbehavior thing, she's like, we're just not going to tolerate it. She's like, our, our child will never misbehave. Okay. And, and she, she said, uh, our ultimate goal, to have our child graduated from high school by the time he's 15. I'm over there going, <laughs> call me later, okay? Here's my card. If you get a chance, swing by Kansas. I want to meet this kid, you know? That's, that's what I want to do. I've had a conversation with the parents. Now I want to have a conversation with the kid, you know? I want to find out his experience in all of this. Because let's get real. There is that moment where you go looking for the parent template inside you and you realize it did not come installed, right? Somewhere inside me, there's got to be this magic parent template, but when you go looking for it, it's not there. And how many of us know, and we know it well, that when you realize there's no template there, you default to a template that was given to you, right? When you recognize that you do not have some sort of, you know, instructional DNA inside you that tells you how to be the parent that you are, then you find out you become the parent that your parent was, right? You know, how many times do you find yourself saying something to your kids and then you go, oh my gosh, I'm turning into my parents. It must mean I'm getting old. You know, it's, we, our, our parenting style is a mosaic of the loudest influences in our life. We don't have it inside so we take what we've learned growing up we take what we've learned from people that were around and we take what is in the loud what, what comes from the loudest influences in our life and it assembles a mosaic that becomes our parenting style now what's intimidating about this if you think about it is the most the loudest influences in your life are by proxy parenting your children so if your parents are the loudest influences in your life, to a certain extent, they are parenting your children because you are funneling that experience to them. If, if your best friends are the biggest, loudest influence in your life, your best friends, by proxy, are parenting your children because you are funneling that style of parenting from, th from them through you to your kids. Because it's not in us. We, we take it from everywhere else. Maybe even it comes from self-help materials. Dr. Phil, maybe, you know, reading books. Nothing wrong with reading books. There's certainly plenty of those on parenting, aren't there? I mean, there's no shortage of parenting books. Go to Barnes & Noble. They got a whole rack full of parenting books, right? And half of them disagree with each other. So that'll, that'll keep you busy for a while, right? We default to whatever the loudest voice is, but we've lost something. And I think what we've lost is the, the truth that we really need a hero to imitate. No disrespect to your parents. There are probably a lot of things that you got from your parents that are incredibly good lessons and incredibly good characteristics that you can pass forward to your children. But the thing about it is, if your parents are all you have to imitate, then that is not good enough. If your best friends are all you have to imitate, that is not good enough. If what you see on TV is all you have to imitate, that is definitely not good enough. We need a hero to imitate. Just any example is not good enough. And for many people in this room, you know that because what your parents lived with you is not what you want your kids to experience. And perhaps you grew up in an experience where your parents were unkind to you, ungracious. They were difficult. They were mean. They were 
caused you personal pain. You don't want your children to experience that, but you recognize that there are parts of the parenting experience that you went through that are now funneling forward into your kids. Or it could be that you had great parents, but even the best parents are not perfect. So where does one find the template for being a good parent? Well, let's go back where we were earlier last week. We were in Ephesians 6. By the way, if you want to get some great uh, relationship uh, information in the Bible, Ephesians 5 and 6 is where to go. It's probably the most succinct relationship advice you'll get in the Bible. Starting in Ephesians 5, we're just talking about relationships in general. Then it goes into marriage advice. And then towards the beginning of chapter 6, you start to see parenting advice and advice for kids. We were in chapter 6 last week, and this was the verse we were looking at. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. We said last week, this could as easily apply to mothers. Fathers, and mothers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up. Remember we said, dad said last week, you can't bring them up unless you are up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Really what this idea here of bringing them up in the training and instruction of the Lord is saying the way God is being a parent to you, you be a parent to your child. Let God be the loudest influence in your life because when you do, instead of funneling the parenting style of your friends and your parents into your kids, you will funnel the parenting style of God Almighty into your kids because he is your hero and it will funnel through and your kids will experience what God is trying to have you experience. So when God shows you grace, you show your kids kids grace. When God shows you love, you show your kids love. When God shows you forgiveness, you show your, for, your, your kids forgiveness. And when God disciplines you, it helps remind you that you are to exhibit uh, positive discipline on your kids. God is saying, funnel my life into your kids. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 is where we're going here. Imitate God, the Bible says in Ephesians 5 and 1 and 2. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do. Why? Because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. So God is saying, look, the way to experience success in your parenting relationship is you imitate me. It's not lame. It's not lame to want to be like somebody else because we just talked about the fact you're going to be like somebody else whether you like it or not. So if you're going to be like somebody else, why not be like God? Because God is saying, if you imitate me, you will funnel the love, the kindness, the attachment that comes from God. You will funnel it through to your children. It's time to shake off all that advice you've gotten from people who themselves did not have it together when they told you it's lame to try to be like somebody else. Life at another level starts when we begin to calibrate to life beyond our limitations. It's okay, it's okay to realize that we're, we're human and we mess up, but it's time to calibrate to someone who is not human and who doesn't mess up. It's okay to recognize that we have failures and we have faults, but it's time to decide to calibrate to someone who doesn't have failures and who doesn't have faults. And to say, that is what I want to, to funnel into my kids' lives. Say, Jonathan, what, what is this all about? Why am I supposed to be living like God? Why am I supposed to imitate God? Well, let me ask you this. Have you ever tried to follow somebody in your car who did not themselves know where they were going? I mean, this is the most ridiculous thing ever, right? You follow them. And after they change lanes about 15 times, right? You're following them, and they're in the right lane. All right, we'll get over in the right lane. Then they're in the left lane. All right, we'll get over in the left lane. You go back and forth and back and forth. And finally, they pull into a business, but you notice this is not where you're supposed to be going. And they make a U-turn in the parking lot. Have you done this before? You're following somebody. They pull into a parking lot. They make a U-turn. And as they make a U-turn, they smile and wave. Ah, we made a mistake. This isn't where we're going, right? And you think, this is why God invented GPS, right? Just give me the address. I'll get there on my own, right? But I think to a certain extent, some of our kids sometimes feel like that. They feel like they're following someone who doesn't really know where they're going. 
feel like mom and dad, they change lanes all the time. They're not really even sure which way they're turning. And then they pull into a place and they make a U-turn. And it's like they don't even really know how to get where they're going. And this is what's so important about that passage we were just reading in Ephesians 6. Let me read it to you in a little more context. It says, children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, and we'll come back there in a second. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on the earth. Now, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. And what the Bible is saying here is God is telling kids, kids, follow your parents. And then he's telling parents, follow God. If, if your kids are following you and you are following God, then your kids are on the right track. But if your kids are following you and you're not following God, then who knows where they'll end up. The Bible is saying, look, you follow God, and he's telling children it's your responsibility to follow your parents. Now, this truth will either agitate you or liberate you. I don't know how you look at it, but this truth, it, it, it'll do one of those two things. And here it is. There is a right way to parent your kids. I mean, you know, frankly, for, for a while, I've really enjoyed the feeling that there just is no right way. You just keep experimenting. Try to do your best. You know, hopefully it'll, it'll all work out in the end. But the truth is there is a right way to parent. Kind of a difficult truth to swallow, but the truth is this. The more I imitate God as a parent, the more stable and healthy my relationship with my kids will be. Now, if I was in your seat right now, I'd be a little skeptical. You know, now, Jonathan. This is great. This is all well and good. It's a platitude. Follow God. Be like God. You know, but I can't do that, right? I'm not God. God is completely different than me. And God, you know, I, I, I know me and I know I can't do what God does. I'm not perfect. I'm not like him. And so to tell me to be like God is just frustrating because I don't know how to do that. Well, let me tell you this. God, the, the Bible has not told you to be God. The Bible has said, imitate him. See, I didn't have to be Superman, right? I was imitating him. See, God has not called us to do the impossible. God has not said, you parent, you go out and be God. No, he's saying, I want you to just be like me. I want you to imitate me. Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. This idea of the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord, again, is what God funnels into you. Our title is, Your Kids Need You. And more than anything, your kids need you to be an imitator of God in their life. So here's my promise. In the time we have left, which is not much, I'm going to share three things with you. I told you before, it can seem a little daunting to say, imitate God as a parent. But here's what I want to do. I want to give you three things. And I promise you, these are three things you can do. There are three things you absolutely can do. And if you do these three things, it will absolutely revolutionize your relationship with your kids. You ready? Here we go. Here's the first one. These are three ways in which you can imitate God. Here's the first one. Be accessible. Be accessible. I'm not, I don't do this very often, but I'm going to read you a rapid fire uh, list of scriptures that talk about the fact that God is accessible and God is with us. Well, here we go. We're going to do this fast. In Genesis 39, the Bible says the Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did. Genesis 39.3, Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph. Genesis 39.21, but the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his, unfaithful, uh, showed him his faithful love. Exodus 3.12, God answered, this is God speaking to Moses, God answered, I will be with 
with you, and this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. Joshua 1.5, this is God speaking to Joshua. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. Isaiah 8, 9 and 10, plan and plot all you want. Nothing will come of it. All your talk is mere talk, empty words, because when all is said and done, the last word is Emmanuel, God with us. Isaiah 41.10, don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. Matthew 28, 20, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always. John 14, 23, Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say, and my Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. And the very last ver- verse of the Bible you have in your hands, Revelation 22, 21, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's holy people. What kind of parent is God? What kind of father is God? Well, he's an available one. He's an accessible one. God is a present father. He's present. And this is a really deep point of conviction for me as a dad, because I have to ask myself, what am I truly with? Am I with Wendy and Cheyenne and Summer, or am I with my cell phone and my iPad and the television set? And make no mistake about it, your kids can sniff this out. They know what you're with, right? I was, uh, I was going to that conference I mentioned earlier, and I was in the airport. I had made it to Dallas. I was on my way uh, to the conference, and it was the last leg of the trip, and I, this guy came up, and I recognized him. He was a, he's a famous Christian counselor. He's written books. I have two of his books on my shelf, and he sat down next to me, and you know, you know what you do when that happens. You're thinking, how can I introduce myself without sounding lame, you know? I don't want to introduce myself to this guy, right? And he looked at me, and he smiled, right? And I looked back at him, and I smiled, right? And I, I kept thinking, how can I introduce myself? But all of a sudden, he says, hi. I said, hi. He said, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. So you going to the conference? Yeah, as a matter of fact, I am. I said, well, that's good. He's like, everything going okay at home? Let me think. Yeah, I think so. I think everything's going okay at home. Hey, I got a question to ask you. Okay. He said, uh, it's kind of embarrassing. I'm thinking, what does this guy have to ask me that's embarrassing? I said, man, you don't need to be embarrassed. Just ask me, right? And he said, you know that dress you were wearing two days ago when we saw you guys? He said, my wife loved that dress, and her birthday's coming up, and I want to get her that dress. Where can you buy it? And I'm thinking, I know I'm wearing a long, flowing, button-down shirt, but I don't think you could mistake it for a dress, you know? And then he turned around. And I saw that this guy had one of these goobers on his ear. I guess I'd been having a conversation with myself. I was very glad to realize that he didn't think I'd been having a conversation with him. I left with as much dignity as I could muster. You know what was difficult for me as I got on my plane and and was flying towards the conference, what was difficult for me is I thought to myself, how many times in my life have one of my little girls tried to have a conversation with me only to find out that I wasn't even there? We weren't connecting at all. We weren't having a conversation. I was engaged elsewhere. That's not being with them. That's not being accessible. That's not being available. I know I'm really treading on some sensitive area this evening, but can I tell you, the addictions that used to keep parents away from their kids years ago, they were pretty obvious. You know, the alcohol addictions, drug addictions, that sort of thing, and certainly there's still plenty of those going around, but 
Can I tell you what? We have new epidemic addictions in families keeping parents away from their kids, and it's called Facebook and Twitter and smartphones and all the lovely little electronic distractions that we have that keep us half with our kids and half not with our kids. You guys have one of these? You know, it becomes a, uh, you know, a permanent appendage. You know, you have it with you all the time. You, you're getting text messages and, hang on. <laughs> what I'm saying is that it's easy to be distracted when you have someone's full attention and to, you know, think that you are giving them your full attention and, and not be, hang on. Okay. You get my point. I'm being a little facetious here. How many times have my girls tried to talk to me while I have my phone out and I'm texting? Hang on, I say. Hang on. It's just a second. Just a second. Just a second. Right? I have my iPad out. Just a second. Just a second. Daddy's doing something important. I, I'm taking care of business. You know, Angry Birds, serious business. I, give me just a second. Give me just a second. I'll be done here in a sec. Right? Can I ask you a question? In what activity in your life are you most present? In what activity in your life are you most there? Is it parenting? Or is it something else? If I were to hire a news crew to follow you around for 24 hours, what would they tell me you're most present in? Would your level of engagement be higher in a discussion with your 15-year-old or in a Facebook discussion? Are you more okay with being interrupted by your cell phone or being interrupted by your seven-year-old? Who are you with? And I know there's some things in life that are very legitimate. It's very legitimate to have a work life that's very um, demanding. It's very legitimate the fact that your marriage, the romance aspect of your marriage, the connection aspect of your marriage is going to take up a lot of your time and a lot of your effort. I get that. But those things are never to preclude us from being with our kids. Our kids need to know that we are with them and we are available to them. Not, it's not as though we spend every waking minute with our kids, but they need to know that we, they need to know if, if they need us, we are there. That's part of imitating God. That's part of being like who he is because that is the kind of parent that God is. Secondly, and I've, I've got to really hurry here. Secondly is this. The first one was be accessible. The second one is this, be a shelter. You want to be a shelter. Psalm 46, 1 through 3 says this, God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. God is our refuge. You know, it's interesting. I do, I do couples workshops. And one of the things that I do when I first do a couples workshop is I'm trying to talk to them about how they connect with each other. And I say, all right, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think back to when you were six or seven years old, maybe eight. And, and I want you to think back to who it was in your life that when you fell down and you hurt yourself, you skinned your knee, somebody called you a name, uh, when something really bad happened to you, who was it in your life that you could run to and go crawl up in this person's lap and you knew that they would hug on you and love on you and that they would not diminish your pain and that they would be there to help you kind of regroup and be okay? When I ask that question, I almost always see tears across the room. And I honestly believe those tears come from two different groups of people. I think there's a group of people in that room who've experienced that 
and the emotion tied with it, the idea of having somebody who is, who is your shelter, who you can go to, the emotion is so strong thinking of it that it brings tears to our eyes because we think how wonderful an experience that was. But there is another group in the room that I honestly believe they're weeping because they didn't have it. There was no one to whom they could run when life was difficult. There was no one who would help comfort them in their moment of pain. Folks, that's just not right. Every kid needs a place that he can be that's safe. Every kid needs a safe shelter. Someone who is there. Someone who, like, like the Bible says of our God, is a refuge, a safe place. We can't afford to have another generation that doesn't have that and doesn't know what it's about because it affects marriage and it affects the rest of our life. You might say, Jonathan, you know what? I hear what you're saying, but I have a real issue with it because, you know, I believe that if you, if you create a safe space for kids the way you're talking about, you're going to create kids who don't have tough skin, they're not going to be able to handle life's challenges, and you are not going to be teaching them to handle life's problems on their own. And I wholeheartedly agree with that last part. I wholeheartedly agree with the fact that you will not be training them to handle life's problems on their own. But can I ask you a question? Of the adults that you know, who have learned to handle all their problems on their own, how they doing? To pull a phrase from Dr. Phil, how's that working for us? In fact, the thing about it is, some of the people who have the deepest anxiety, the deepest depression, some of the people who go through the darkest valleys in life are people who have learned to carry the weight of the world on their shoulders and not to connect with anybody to allow that person to help share that burden and help carry that load. There is something that is actually productive about teaching our kids that it is okay to connect with us because we are a safe place for them. We are a shelter. Now, how does that work? And I have six minutes left to wrap all this up, so I'm going to talk fast if you listen fast. How does it work for us to be a comforting presence in our kids' life? Well, I think first and foremost, you have to know what it's like to be comforted. You remember when you go fly on an airplane and they tell you how to put the oxygen mask on your face? I love the whole secure, the safety spiel, right? Because they teach you how to put on a seatbelt and put on an oxygen mask in one sitting. I mean, that's pretty cool, right? But they tell you, what do they tell you about putting oxygen masks on your kids, right? They tell you to put yours on first, right? You put your oxygen mask on first, and then you put your oxygen mask on the kids. Now, why would you do that? I mean, after all, don't you love those kids? Don't you care about them? You put their oxygen mask on first. Well, see, the problem is if you don't put your oxygen mask on, the chances are you may not live to put the oxygen mask on your kids, right? Here's the thing. God is the source of comfort in our lives. And when we connect with him, that is that lifeline, that is that oxygen, that is what keeps us going even when we're experiencing pain and difficulty and life is not okay. But when we connect with God and we get our comfort from him, then we can turn and share that comfort with our kids. There's so many of us that have tried so long and so hard to provide comfort to our kids, but we ourselves are not getting comfort from God, and so we are not surviving, but we are trying to help our kids survive. And there is a certain extent to which we must learn to be comforted by God so that then we can turn around and funnel that comfort into our kids. We can be a shelter, a safe place, a refuge. Number three, let me give you the third one quickly and we'll be done. First one is be accessible. Second one is be a shelter. Third one is be a fan. Be a fan. Be a supporter of your kids. Joshua 1, 1, and 9, 1 through 9. This is God speaking to Joshua. And the, after the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. 
This is what God said. Be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Now be strong and very courageous. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. There's something special about a parent. You're kind of like a coach. I went to a pro basketball game right before uh, I came here to take take on this position with New Spring, and a friend of mine took me to see the Thunder in Oklahoma City, and I was watching their coach, because it's a very interesting dynamic there. When a player is injured, right, he's headed toward the bench, the coach is the first one there assessing and trying to take care of it. How bad is he hurt? Is he going to be okay? Where's the pain? What do we need to do? We need to take you back to the back, or do we need to get a you know, medic out here? What do we need to do? And he's just very involved, very involved with trying to take care of this injured player. But yet, the coach is the same guy who will turn around as soon as that player is better and he's okay. The coach is the one who will send him back out there on the court. And that's really what being a parent is like. We are a safe place, a refuge to come to when life is difficult and when life is painful and when our children are injured emotionally by what's going on in their lives. We are a safe refuge to come to. But once they are whole and once they are doing better, we then launch them back out into the world as a supporter who says, I'm for you, now go do it. We are a safe place to come to, but we are also a launching pad. You think about the difference between a coach and a opponent if you played sports. Think about what characterizes a coach. Well, he's off the field, right? He's out of the way, and he's heavily invested in mutual success with the team, right? If you think about it, he's he's not on the field. He's really off to the sidelines, but his number one goal is that the team succeeds. What about the opponents? Well, the opponents are on the field, they're in the way, and they're only worried about their own success. I'm just going to be real straight with you. As a parent, the moments I'm most ashamed of are the moments when I've been more of an opponent than a coach. They are those moments when I've been on the field, I've been in the way, and I've been more worried about my own personal success than anything else. But what God has called me to as a parent, God has called me to be a coach. God says, get off the field, get out of the way, and you be mostly invested in your kid's success. You be invested in your kid being a God-honoring kid who does the right things, follows the right path, and lives the way I've called them to live because you have funneled all of what I have given you into them. That's what God has called us to. It's a challenge, and it's a ministry, but it's the greatest calling in life. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for not only giving us the gift of children to raise, but Father, thank you for teaching us how to do it and for showing us what it is like to have a loving, caring father. We thank you for that. We honor you for that. We want to be that kind of parent. And would you keep your heads bowed and eyes closed just for a second? It could be that you're in this room and you'd say, you know what, Jonathan, you talk about imitating God because he's such a great parent in our life, but to be honest with you, I I don't have a relationship with God. But as you've talked about it, this idea that God is present, and he's a shelter, and he's a fan, I never want that in my life. How do I get that? Well, here's the thing. I'm going to say the words in a second to a very simple prayer. And you can say these words silently in your head to God. If you do, it'll be settled once and for all tonight. Ready? Here we go. 
Dear Jesus, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you died for me. I know I've done wrong things. I know I can't save myself. Tonight, I accept your free gift of heaven and forgiveness. Thank you for wanting to be my father. In Jesus' name.